My name is Adam Christopher. I'm the author of Star Wars Shadow of the Sith, and you are listening to The Living Force. Welcome to The Living Force Podcast. Hello, what have we here? A Utini Podcast Network production. What a piece of junk. Episode 175, Shadow of the Sith Roundtable. You know that ship saved my life quite a few times. She's the fastest hunk of junk in the galaxy. On this episode, taking a summer vacation with Star Wars Lego. Who's next? A surprise author interview. Strap in, baby. And the Utini crew talks about the latest Star Wars novel, Shadow of the Sith, by Adam Christopher. I feel the force. And now, here are your hosts. Dr. Corey Helton, Eric Eilerson, Dr. Charles Henkel, and Wes Jenkins. Utini! Hello, everyone! Welcome to The Living Force, a Utini Network podcast all about the Star Wars books we love and all their details, their plot summaries. You know, it's roundtable night. I'm one of your hosts, Eric Eilerson, and joining me to talk all things Shadow of the Sith is the full cast of characters, starting off with uh, the man who stabbed O.G. and Pistoon. Dr. Corey Helton. What's up, buddy? <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I guess I'll take that. Uh, you would. Come that, on. Who wouldn't that, him? That asshole got what was coming to him. Let's just put it that way. Uh, yeah. That's Hello, everyone. Right. Hope everyone is doing well. Excited for another roundtable. This one to, you know, I love roundtables because they get to fill in lots of plot holes. And this one especially gets to fill in some plot holes. So I'm excited to talk about it. Absolutely, and of course we would not be here without the man who so graciously gave up a few seconds of reading on the beach, Dr. Charles Hankel. What's up, sir? Hey, y'all. What's going on? I know I've, I've been gone for a couple of weeks. I've been hanging out at the beach. I had a wonderful time, wonderful vacation, but I really and truly, I'm very excited to be back tonight with you guys. Yeah, I'm really glad that you have finally come indoors uh, to do the show once more. We missed you, buddy. So glad you're back. But you know who's holding out in the fort while you were gone? None other than the man who I would trust as the foundation of anything I ever built. It's Wes Jenkins. Good evening, everyone. Um, I would like to be referred to now as Wesley of Houston. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's it. It's not going to be better than that. Thank you, everybody. For <laughs> wow. Oh, well, everyone, here we are. Uh, we are, of course... The Living Force, if you're watching us, hello everyone in the chat. We hope you're doing well tonight. We go live every single Monday on the Utini YouTube channel at 8 p.m. Eastern. And if you're listening to us in your audio catcher, whether it's through the Patreon feed on Thursdays or your regular feeds on Fridays, we hope you're having a great time. If you're watching us live or afterwards, make sure to like the video on YouTube and subscribe for all the great videos we got coming your way from Utini. And if you're on your audio catcher of choice, give us five stars or a thumbs up or cookies reddit votes i don't know make sure people know what the show is good now speaking of other things that are good a few little shout outs to the star wars community from this week last week showed the debut of lego summer vacation the star wars short uh well actually like 40 minutes it wasn't that short uh but that appeared on disney plus and i gotta ask guys even though i know the answer anybody watch this but me Uh, not, I have not seen it, but some folks on the team were talking about it. Trevor gets particularly excited over from our, Trevor our loved it. Our brother show, our sister show. I'm not sure how you say that. Like uh, Star our, Wars archives, our, Trevor and Jose our, do our, that. Our, our strange sibling, Related. the Star Wars strange archives. sibling. Yes, exactly. Uh, it's a Patreon exclusive show, and uh, Trevor loves his things. Like he always tells us all the insane pools. Like I'm not sure who they get to. 
like write these, but they are like incredibly familiar with like like the books and comics, and they have crazy pools. Like it's nuts, the stuff from Legends and all kinds of stuff that they get thrown into these. So these are so fun. I gotta watch this one. the The holiday special was phenomenal. I loved that yes. one. So yeah, yeah, that one was weird. A blast. Weird Al was in it. Who? What a Weird Al yeah. voice. Basically himself. All of them? Like, yeah. he was literally himself, and he sang a song. And I, I, I turned it on uh, as I was working on Friday, and it was a great one to have on. Uh, just kind of put a big smile on my face. So, again, I love that they do these because they're not, like, precious about, oh, did they canonically go on a beach vacation? No. No. Um, it's just really <laughs> fun to see the Lego characters, and a lot of the actors from animation got Scared. to come back and do it. So, tons of fun there. I also want to give a huge congratulations to Kirsten White because – Padawan, the Obi-Wan Kenobi novel that just came out, debuted, y'all, at number one on the New York Times YA bestseller list. That's um, fantastic. That's amazing. Oh, congratulations. Like, this happens more often, but number one is like... Yeah, number one's a big deal. Intense. It's a big deal. And for a young adult book, that's uh, maybe a little bit surprising for me, honestly. Yeah. To have, I mean, I, this was the... Is it number one, number one, or is it number one in the YA category? Is that how that works? No, I... It's a, yeah, it's only in the YA category, so they have different okay, lists. Okay. So yeah, every yeah. YA book in the country, number one. Super impressive. Definitely riding out the coattails of the Kenobi TV show, which is fantastic. Yep. And that's mm-hmm. uh, it's awesome. I mean, the more Star Wars books that make it to top spots, like the more we get. So I'm all about it. Congratulations for yeah. sure. Yeah. More notoriety, the more sales. The more That's sales, right. more books. That's yeah, right. <laughs> so all you trolls that whined about bisexual Obi-Wan, you did it! Number one! Uh, go screw. <laughs> uh, <laughs> However, there's another release coming out uh, that we want to highlight next week on August 16th, uh, as we always remind you guys of. Princess and the Scoundrel by Beth Revis is coming out, and we want to just let you guys know what's going to be coming on the Utini website on Tuesday, uh, the, the 16th review day, not tomorrow. Uh, we will have reviews, of course, as we always do for the book, a written review on the website, and a video review here on the channel. And, Corey, what did you and I get to do this week that we're going to release on Tuesday? Uh, we got to do a really fun interview over the weekend with Beth Revis. Uh, yes, we did! We, we also learned that uh, Revis is how you pronounce the author's name, not Revis, which we have probably nope. been saying for literally years. So, uh, oops. Uh, Beth Revis, uh, she was absolutely a blast to hang out with. Uh, really, really passionate author, and like I'm super excited. The book is still in embargo, so we can't talk about it too terribly much, but it's fantastic. And, yeah, uh, it's real good. It's real okay. good, and uh, the interview was a lot of fun. <laughs> she was, she seems like she understands the romance that is Leia and Han better than maybe anybody I've ever talked to. And uh, yeah, it's gonna be a lot of fun. Be on the lookout for that. It'll be in your audio feeds. We were gonna try to do something with the video. We'll see. We're still looking at some tech issues we're having on that, but we maybe, will see. Maybe, maybe. Yes. Yeah. So uh, thank you to Beth for taking the time to chat with us. That will be, like Corey said, released fully on book release day. And actually, as Stephanie asked in the chat, uh, we haven't really gone through this. How do we keep scoring these interviews? I want to give a huge shout-out to the publicity teams at Delray and Disney. That's straight up how it happens. Uh, we, they have really great publicists um, that we work with directly who coordinate and, and send our questions to get approved and talk to the authors. So uh I'm not sure. I know some of them are very public, some of them are not. So I just want to say thank you to the publicity teams uh, for continuing to work with us and helping us uh, talk to all these writers. 
All right, last couple things here uh, on Utini.com. We got updates for you all the time. So I wanted to give a shout out to our buddy Nathan, who just put up a video on the YouTube channel about how to start reading Legends comics. Possibly the only thing more convoluted than Legends books. Uh, so there's always a great uh, resource to kind of start reading those. So be sure to check that out if you haven't. And we got a relatively new team member that I wanted to give a huge shout out to uh, because he's been working his absolute tail off in a part of our company that is growing pretty sizably and that is Parker who's working on our TikTok account and guys I've been having a blast watching his work on uh, TikTok and Instagram reels I should say I'm a TikToker so I don't I don't do as many reels but like Utini's <laughs> on both and like he's yeah. been pumping them out lately yeah. yeah he did a really good job his Padme one was exceptional oh yeah it was exceptional you're kind of a bastard yeah, Parker because I did cry <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah he's absolutely killing it uh he also shared a really fun story this week that somebody that he worked with uh came up to him and uh pointed out like it was just it was just sharing him this cool TikTok that he discovered and Parker got the had the honor to be able to be like hey actually I made that and the guy was like holy smokes I can't believe it and they didn't even, he didn't even know that he worked with us so that was uh the that algorithm. was a cool story to hear <laughs> I know the algorithm and uh, he's really doing a great job if you don't already follow us on TikTok or Instagram Reels and go check that out um you know it's this is another great opportunity to plug that the team is always looking for new talent like if you are interested in helping us do something new and unique or interesting. You know, that is the joy of Utini's. We sort of run this like a business. So, you know, we get to, like, spend effort and energy in really specific niches like like Instagram or TikTok, whereas, you know, a smaller team might not be able to do that. So, you know, if you've been thinking about doing uh, reaching out to us, we have a section on our website, the very bottom in the footer of the site. You can click Jobs and send us a job application if, you're, if you have some talent, and we are more than happy to chat. So sorry for the shameless plug there, but I, it was too good. Parker's just doing too great of a job. So... Uh, thanks a lot, Parker, and uh, keep killing it, man. Absolutely. And if you want to be part of the people that help support all these new things we're doing, um, you can head over to Patreon. Patreon.com slash Utini, where the wonderful and fantastic Corey Herndon actually just joined us on Patreon last week. Thank you so much. Uh, Corey's going to be coming up on a Star Wars Archives episode. Uh, or actually just did, I believe, if you're on Patreon, you can listen to that, which is kind of amazing. And everyone on there is enjoying, like we say, um, exclusive things like the new episode of The Ghost Crew that is finally fully back. We released our first episode back in a while last week. You're also getting the Star Wars archives without any kind of delay. Uh, and, the, and the four of us were actually just chatting before uh, we went live today about a Patreon-exclusive thing we're probably going to be dropping in the next couple weeks. And uh, a lot of great content that's coming that way, all because of our amazing supporters. So thank you all so much. Head over to patreon.com slash right now to see what you can do. All right. No weekly roundup this week. No book reviews this week. But I did just want to again remind you all to get your pre-orders in. Go to the utini.com release schedule. Pre-order Princess and the Scoundrel for next week, August 16th. And the High Republic Path of Deceit for October 4th. Phase 2 is almost among us. And by almost, I mean it's two months. But still, it's pretty close. All right, Charles. I did my best. That was 10 minutes this time. But that I'm getting better so at these. Fast. So I, I am going to throw it over to you, uh, everyone. Full spoilers now ahead for Adam Christopher's Shadow of the Sith. Charles, it's roundtable time. Let's do this, buddy. That's right. Okay, we are going to start this roundtable off the way that we always do. With your camera off. With my <laughs> camera entirely <laughs> off. What? Let's what? go ahead and just read the plot synopsis. Anyways, y'all you need got to this. see me to hear this. All right, here it. we go. 
Dathan, Miramir, and their young daughter Ray hurtle through wild space in a stolen ship, having just escaped Jakku. They're quickly attacked by mysterious hunters. By chance, the New Republic's Halo Squadron is able to save them. Miramir and Dathan plead for help and reveal a Sith hex charm as proof of the identity of their pursuers, but they are ultimately turned away. Across the galaxy, a mysterious Pantoran woman associated with the Sith Eternal struggles with horrifying hallucinations emanating from a bronze mask. Amidst torturous screams, there is also a cold, clear voice demanding she don the mask and do its bidding. On Ossus, despite the tranquility of his new Jedi Academy, Luke Skywalker is also plagued by visions of a dark, dead planet. Lor Santeca arrives with news of an archaeological dig that may yield some ancient Jedi artifacts. Luke agrees to go investigate, leaving the temple in the hands of Ben Solo. Ochi of Bastoon spends his days desperately trying to find his way back to Exegol, where he was horribly maimed long ago and where he believes he can be healed. The Sith Eternal, led by the masked Pantoran woman, ambush him and offer a way back to Exegol in exchange for hunting down Rey. He's given a Sith dagger that is supposed to aid him in doing so. Not long after, Lando wastes time in a gambling hall, deeply troubled by the kidnapping of his daughter, Kidara. He overhears Ochi bragging to some comrades about his mission to kidnap a young girl, and his interest is piqued. After calling in some favors to the New Republic, Lando uncovers Halo Squadron's interaction with Dathan, Miramir, and Rey. Given the reported involvement of the Sith, he decides he has to contact Luke. At the dig site, Luke discovers shards of a red kyber crystal and the remnants of a Sith holocron that briefly possesses one of the archaeologists. Luke gathers all the artifacts and hurries to the home planet of the Jedi, Tython. Once there, Luke uses a seeing stone and is transported through the Force to Exegol, which he then identifies as the location of his visions. He's attacked by wraiths, but is saved by the Force ghost of Anakin Skywalker, who returns him to Tython. Anakin warns Luke of a great evil that's coming. Shortly after, Lando arrives and asks for Luke's help. Realizing all the recent events are most certainly linked, Luke agrees. The Pantoran woman is tasked by the mask to find Luke and take back the kyber shards. It's revealed that she has the rest of the broken crystal and that she must reunite them to return to Exegol herself. A great chase across many planets ensues. Luke and Lando attempt to aid Dathan, Miramir, and Rey, while Ochi and his henchmen repeatedly hunt them down. During this chase, Luke encounters the Pantoran and realizes that she is being controlled by a Sith via the mask. After repeatedly being caught, Dathan and Miramir decide they have to steal Ochi's personal ship if they are going to escape. Furthermore, they decide they can't put Rey in that kind of danger and must therefore hide her on Jakku. In need of assistance, Luke and Lando seek out Komat, an ex-acolyte of the Beyond, for her unique ability to track ships. When they tell her about the Pantoran, she confirms that it must be the ex-leader of the Acolytes named Kaiza. She tells the story of Viceroy Exim Panchard, the creator of the mask, and how it came to be in Kaiza's possession. Luke realizes Panchard is the Sith empowering Kaiza and decides he has to go find her while Lando and Komat go after the family. With Komat's help, Luke quickly finds Kaiza's stronghold and confronts her. Though he comes out victorious, after he leaves, droids in the facility come to life and reanimate her body using the mask. She goes after Luke. Lando and Komat track down the family and assist them in stealing Ochi's ship. Lando and Komat are captured, but Luke arrives just in time to save them. Suddenly, Kaiser reappears and once again faces off with Luke. In the skirmish, the kyber crystal shards are destroyed and Luke is able to remove the mask from Kaiser's face and destroy it, apparently eliminating XM Penchard for good. Elsewhere, Ochi receives a tip that the family went to Jakku. He encounters Dathan and Miramir just after they've left Rey with Unkar Plutt. He kills them both 
but finds Akiyaki beads in Miramir's hand, leading him to believe Rey must be on Pasana. Shortly after, Lando arrives and is distraught to find Dathan and Miramir's bodies on Pasana. Oshi descends further and further into madness due to the Sith Dagger. In an ill-conceived attempt to search for Rey in the Forbidden Valley, he falls victim to the sinking sands of the desert. Rey's parents receive a quiet ceremony on a modest planet, after which Lando returns to Pilar with Komat to recover, and Luke goes back to his temple. The failure to save the family disturbs them all, let, a let alone the young girl who they believe is still in danger. Sometime later, Lando gets wor word that Ochi's ship has been spotted on Pasana. He and Luke head there immediately, but find no evidence of Ochi himself. Lando decides he will stay on Pasana and use it as a home base to continue searching for both Ochi and his daughter. Back on Osis, in Luke's quarters of the Jedi Temple, the remains of Exum Penshard's mask remain secreted away, their future left uncertain. Ellipses. <laughs> Ellipses. <laughs> All right. Damn, Charles, look at that. All that big said, book you put in that man. That was a very, that was a very long book. We got it down to two pages. I think we hit all the most important parts. So now let's mm -hmm. just take a moment to reflect on that story. I want to know what did y'all get out of this reading experience? How did you experience this book? Did you read it? Did you listen to it? Did you do a combination? Mm -hmm. And uh, what what just got you really excited about this? So I, I so I read this book uh, physically. Mostly. That was my my way of doing it. I started off with a digital copy and then eventually got back to the to the big hardcover, uh, which I think is this book holding the the giant book, I feel like, just made, really, really it's seems enormous. Uh, right. Hold it up to the camera yeah. so in case yeah, nobody has thing. seen it before. It's this, enormous. This, <clears throat> this thick boy. I mean, this is a a large, huge. large book. Um, is Thrawn? Is this one or Thrawn longer? Uh, the Thrawn I think Ascendancy the, uh, book. Th I, I did a check. I think <clears throat> Thrawn might be barely. Yeah, Barely. okay. Yeah, um, yeah, interesting. If you haven't seen it, so, it is a massive book. Seriously. It's, they're giant tomes is what we're doing. Um, <laughs> so I read it physically. I didn't, do the, I didn't do the audiobook for this one. And what I got out of it was the beginning of the book especially really kind of enhanced, I think, the understanding of dark side lore within canon. We haven't gotten as much of that um, in a lot of editions. And I think Adam Christopher really keyed in to both the mystery of the dark side, like how Luke kind of experienced, like, what is this vision? What's going on? What is Exegol? And mm -hmm. also, like, the brutality, like, the, the singular chapter that was the memory of the slaughter of Exum Penchard was one of the my favorite chapters I've read uh, oh, yeah. all year. Um, and I think because he really kind of pulled no punches from it. And I also think that this is probably the best and most affecting book for fathers I've ever read as far as, like, mm -hmm. Dathan's... Uh, reaction towards Ray and Miramir, um, Lando's thoughts about his daughter. Like on the review team, some of our friends on the team that have children actually found it almost impossible to finish because it was so raw on a father's like fear for his daughter and things like that. So I thought those two things for me really kind of stuck out um, or stuck out for me uh, <clears throat> more so than like some of the stuff that like tied directly into Rise of Skywalker didn't quite work as well for me. I think that some of it would kind of wasn't as smooth as the original stuff. So I kind of maybe wanted more of Adam Christopher's just straight up original things. I thought those were oh, yeah. so freaking good, but I think every time something like that with the Sith eternal with the force visions, whenever that came up to answer your last question, Charles, that's when I was the most stoked. And that was what this book really brought the value to me was like, Luke Skywalker understanding the dark side is like, oh, cool. We're, we're in it now. So that's really what this book did for me. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. I will echo a lot of those comments as well. Uh, you know, the elephant in the room that I don't think that we can get out of without talking about is the fact that the Rise of Skywalker has some problems. <laughs> like some that is, uh, it does. It has some, it has some big problems. Yeah. I think from a storytelling perspective, that really hurt the sequel trilogies. Like kind of overall net average, I think in a lot of ways. And uh, you know, we did our we did our episode a long time ago on the Rise of Skywalker and talked about some of those things. You can go back in the feed and listen to that if you've never listened to it. Probably our most critical i guess episode of anything yeah. we've ever produced we literally did change the trajectory of our show after doing that because we realized hold on this got us in a really intense way um yeah and, and you know what i'll i'll, I'll take a second i'm gonna tease this in two weeks we're gonna revisit red skywalker that's mm -hmm. gonna be our episode in two so stay tuned uh because we, yeah. we realized that this book made us want to do that yeah for sure mm -hmm. for sure and you know all that all that being said you know i think some of the plot some of the plot things that happened in the rise of skywalker such as the dagger such as Palpatine being alive, such as Ray being a Palpatine, all of these things still, even after this book, don't totally like fit perfectly together. And that is in no way reflective of of the choices made, you know, uh, by by the author in this book, oh, as yeah, much as absolutely. it is reflected by the fact that they were just kind of bad story points to begin with, quite frankly, I think. Right. So. All right. Get that elephant out of the room. Let me change gears entirely, okay? The, yes, yeah, spy elephant. Uh, change gears entirely. Uh, this sorry. book. Uh, exactly. yeah. All right. Sorry, audio this... listeners. Don't go look at that. That was dumb. Uh, oh, <laughs> I think I would go as far to say that there has not been a sequel trilogy book as important as this one. Like, yes. this utterly has explained so many things about the sequel trilogy. Like, like, this is not even a supplement to The Rise of Skywalker at this point, I would say. This is a supplement to the entire sequel trilogy, to Rey's character arc. Like, it's, uh -huh. it's, I'm, I'm amazed that this book is even, uh, like, created. Like, because they have been yeah. so, they've, they've kept this, the sequel trilogy story arc and characters so close to the chest, Disney has. Mm -hmm. Like, I am shocked that this book was even allowed to be written, quite frankly. And uh, it's, it's, it was good. It was fun. I really enjoyed reading it. I think it added a, a mm -hmm. ton of value to the sequel trilogy. Like, absolutely yes. a ton of value. I wanna, I'm excited to go back and watch The Rise of Skywalker now that we have this stuff explained. You know, you know, and, you know, I specifically mentioned the dagger, like, in the intro of this. I love the way the dagger was explained in this book utterly masterpiece like utterly mm -hmm. phenomenal like incredible incredible storytelling all around the dagger i loved it it was it was fantastic and the other thing i wanted to highlight is i listened to the audiobook uh for this one that was a um it was one of our questions here is how do we digest it? i listened to the audiobook for almost all of it i was getting a little behind and i had to finish the last bit of it um on my kindle but i listened to the audiobook for most of it and i want to give a special shout out to the narrator william demerit this is a new narrator that has never done as far as i know has never done a star wars book uh, but has definitely never done a, a full-length novel star wars novel like this and the guy utterly killed it, man. Like he totally killed it. He did a fantastic job. Uh, I would love to get more narrations done by him. He's a he's a person of color. He's from New York. Um, his will is uh, Billy D. Williams slash Lando like impression is probably the best Lando impression I've ever heard. Like it is so so good. Wow. It's really, really good. It's yeah. really, really good. I also listen to the audiobook. Yeah, yeah. And, like, I just have to say that it's, 
you know, Sorry, Mark Freddy. Thompson. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Mark Thompson is our guy, and uh, I love the man, and he does incredible, incredible work, and he's sort of the goat at this point in regards to uh, audiobook narration. But to get a new voice, to this be the first time in, to be on such an important book, and to have him do such an amazing, amazing job. I'm just blown away with his performance. If you if you haven't listened to the audiobook, I highly recommend you check it out. Um, it was super, super good. So overall, you know, final thoughts. I loved this book. I thought it was pretty well, let me back up. I really, really enjoyed this book. I think there are a couple of writing issues with it, maybe throughout that we don't really have to go into because it's nitty-gritty. But overall, I think it really, really added a, a ton of value to like the sequel trilogy and uh i had a a great experience with it and i would highly recommend it it's definitely on my list of books to highly recommend to folks if they're interested in the movies and you know great experience overall yeah yeah um so i also listened to this uh via audiobook and i thought it was really 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 good um so one of the things that brought me made me so excited about the book was they put all these details in there that we were missing out from the movie. So when we read these books, we read them because it enhances the movies that we watch. So Rise of Skywalker, some would say, needs a lot of enhancement and maybe needs a lot of books to help with some of the plot holes in it. And Release this the one, Snyder Cut is what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> your Snyder Cut guy, well. Adam Christopher, yeah, well... <laughs> I need about nine hours. Um, So, yeah, Adam Christopher filled in a lot of these details that we were kind of searching for. Um, One of the, I mean, the the main is, who is Ochi of Bestoon, and why is he stabbing people, especially Ray's parents? What what is it going on? Why is all this happening? Why is Ray left on Jakku with some giant, scary alien man, right? So, I mean, he lays all this out, and one of the... And another, like just this, the small details that help you understand what, like who the Sith Eternal are. Mm-hmm. Why are they searching for a wayfinder? Mm-hmm. Why does Ochi of Bestoon have electronic eyeballs? <laughs> I mean, all of that. Yeah, which is a, which is just super great. Um, all, all of those, like, uh, all elaboration of, those, of why. All of yeah. those, like kind of deep dives into the like the Sith arcane and that stuff was beautiful. Yeah, it was it was phenomenal. So I loved yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he did. I think he did a phenomenal job because we don't we haven't got a lot mm-hmm. of stories um, from the sequel trilogy, and this being so like being a longer book, I appreciated all those little details that were in there. Yeah, yeah, and I got to say, I, I noticed <clears throat> this. I, I I I did a little TikTok this week about this, and I realized that our last three books now with Princess and the Scoundrel coming out next week, Brotherhood is prequels. This is sequels, and Princess and the Scoundrel's OT. Like they literally are giving every single trilogy yeah. fan a book yeah. this year. That's Everybody a good point. eats. Yeah. <clears throat> Everybody eats point. and we all feast. <laughs> well Charles, what about you, man? <clears throat> no, I love everything you guys said. I think you you've said everything that needs to be said. I read this book. I always read these books for round tables. I just find it easier to pull quotes and things when I'm reading a physical copy. Um, and I thought it was really good. I really enjoyed the book. It took me a, quite a long time. I mean, I don't think I finished this until maybe like five days ago or something like that. So it was it was a quick turnaround in terms of doing the roundtable. And it wasn't because I didn't enjoy it. It was just I was taking it kind of in, in you know, little bite-sized pieces. But I think what you said about this filling the gaps for Tross is like the biggest selling point for this book. Like it's very well written to begin with. It would be a fun story even if it wasn't kind of performing that function. But that is really where this book shines as being like oh now i care about this thing you know that was just kind of thrown up on the screen and i didn't really know what it was and i felt like i was supposed to 
No, I, I would go so far as to say this is like essential reading, like a companion oh, for sure. piece for watching yeah. Tross. So, oh, for sure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if the if the books are supposed to, you know, we don't call it the expanded universe anymore. That that term has kind of been retired with legends, like in a, a pretty official capacity. You know, yeah. um, now we try to make a more clear distinction between canon and legends. But like, you know, this book certainly expands on the films, like the way that the expanded yeah. universe originally did, right? So like. Yeah, I think it. I think it's really hard not to say, "Oh, you like the sequel trilogy? This is the book for you." Like, I mean, it really, yeah, really yeah. is. Like, yeah. in a ton of ways. Yeah, and also we, we're using the word essential now. Like, if Death Troopers is essential legends, I think <laughs> this is essential <laughs> sequel. All right, like, if yes. that's if that's what the, the, the barrier we're going with. I love Death Troopers. Let's be clear. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's move on from this. Let's start talking about some of these characters, guys, because we've got a lot to get through. There are a lot of important pieces in this book. And the first one I want to talk about is Luke Skywalker, the Jedi Master himself. Luke! Thank you. Luke! 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 So tired of this particular voice that Eric does. So tired of this. It's very good, though. Yeah, Luke's in like one canon book every eight years. So I think that's Well, I want to talk about one thing in particular. I want to talk about the fact that Luke talked to Force Ghost Anakin. And the yes. reason I'm bringing this up now is because you nerds were never going to wait. You were going to bring this up during my <laughs> other prompt, so we might as well get this out of the way. <laughs> I got two quotes for you. From page 128, Fair. the glowing blue form of Anakin Skywalker stepped out of the shadow of one of the huge monoliths that orbited the hilltop temple, his hood down, revealing the face of a man who looked a good two decades younger than Luke himself. Luke wet his lips, his chest feeling like it was trapped in a vice, the very breath being squeezed out of him as he came face to face with the echo of his own father. Now, on the very next page, the look on Anakin's face made Luke's blood run cold. His father looked pained, no, worse, in agony, and Luke didn't know if that was even possible. Anakin was one with the Force now. Anakin faded out, faded in. He stood tall and grimaced. Luke lifted his own hand. And the two men, one alive, one long past, father and son, reaching toward each other, the flesh and blood fingers of Luke's hand, just out of reach from the blue glow of Anakin's. So, what could I ask you after those passages other than what did this moment mean to you? What sort of emotions did it evoke for you? Like, Anakin may have saved <laughs> Luke's life from beyond the grave. Mm-hmm. This, is a, yeah. this is a This is a top ten canon moment i i legitimately think I'm, I'm so glad you said it yes yes i really do i yes. really do think this was a this was a top 10 yes. maybe even like top three canon moment like one of the best things i've ever seen happen in a star wars book it was utterly beautiful the audiobook yep. completely nailed it completely i mean the sound and the music it had john williams music all through it and like mm-hmm. it was just a masterpiece moment i mean caitlin and i were listening to this going down uh going on a vacation that week that i was uh i recorded from the beach or whatever and it was kind of a technical disaster when we interviewed jonathan davis we were on our way down oh, to yeah. the beach listening to this scene we had to like pause and talk about it afterwards it was so moving and heavy hitting and it was done so well i mean there's it's so it would be so easy to to kind of make this campy and goofy and luke meets his father but it was an incredibly touching teaching moment like beautiful Utterly yeah, beautiful. They could have they could have thrown this in I don't say thrown this in, but thrown in Anakin being a force ghost and giving some kind of lesson to Luke at any time of any of these books. Yep. And 
Adam Christopher had made this his own, and he made it work really, really well. Yeah. Like this, I think I, like on, when you listen to the audiobook, you have a little 30 second rewind. Mm-hmm. I must have rewound this four or yeah, five same, times when man, I was listening same. to it on the way to work. It was yeah. so, so good. Well, and I remember, like, this was one of, this was the first excerpt. The first or second excerpt they released, like in in, in totality. And I remember mm-hmm. our buddy Tom was like, "Hey, this is longer than usual, but there's a reason." And I re- mm-hmm. I remember reading this whole scene. I'm like, "Oh, this is so cool! This is so cool!" And then it says, "And reached down and and with the lightsaber of Anakin Skywalker, or whatever it was." And I was like, "There was a moment where I realized, oh my god, this this is happening! Like this is Luke is meeting." A- Anakin, Anakin, like in his yeah. prime, with the hair, with the everything, and like with the hair, <laughs> like, <laughs> Anakin scar. with the good hair, <laughs> with the hair. <laughs> Annie, yeah. Annie with the good hair, um, and like and the chest and yeah. the, the shaped chest, everything. and the, for yeah. some reason his shirt was off, and I don't know why, a cowl or something. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now we're on, now we're on Ao three. Um, so I, 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 I completely agree. I think this is like again, there are certain things in this book. I think that were some of the best things we've seen in a while, and this is probably chief among them. I think that this scene, like you say, could have been cliche, could have been rough, could have just kind of been like, oh, it's Anakin and Luke, fan service. But it was for the story. Yeah. It worked super well, worked and I really absolutely well. got chills. Even just reading it, got chills. <clears throat> I like the uh, – I like this – I like the – I'm not sure what the literature word for it is, like the setting of it too, the way it was portrayed of of Anakin as being pulled kind of away by this yeah, dark yeah, yeah, force. Yeah. Like it was very mythical, like almost like I don't know, like evil Emperor Palpatine was, you know, <laughs> on Exegol, like like pulling him back is kind of how it was written and like yeah. very much like that scene uh I think it's is it in Rebels? Yeah, yeah. The world between worlds uh Episode. That's where you're in, going, yeah. Where Rebels. Palpatine's yeah, like yeah. pulling them out of the world. Between yeah, the world. exactly. Yeah. That's what I was sort of picturing in my head while that was happening, and like it was. Oh man, it was really, really well done, and and I, yep. I was a big fan. I mean, this was such a risk, such a huge risk yeah, to, uh, to make Luke meet Anakin in a in a mm-hmm. major scene with have dialogue. Like this was a huge risk, and I think it. I think they really did a great job with it. I was really, really impressed. Yeah, yeah dialogue is the key there because. He was, you know, he was seen in uh, Return of the Jedi, mm-hmm. but, you know, no dialogue there. He just smiled. His, yep. You know, Anakin smiled. That's right. And then he looked different after, like, 1998 when they released the DVD <laughs> versions. And uh, Luke yeah. had to, like, totally change his, like, imagine of what his father looked oh like. It's it super weird, man. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy to think that it took this long, if you think about yeah. it, for them to yeah. actually have an interaction yeah. because – I mean, Luke saw Force Ghosts all the time, like throughout the entire OT, right? So, and I, I don't remember um, this ever happening in Legends, as far as I know. Like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Say Legends three times, and a wild Jared will appear, perhaps. But like, absolutely, I, I, I don't know if this ever. I don't remember this ever happening in Legends. Maybe it has happened a bunch of times, and I just can't remember because it's been so long. But yeah, like this felt huge for the Skywalker saga that this even Dude. exists. So, yep, big fan, yeah. big fan. Well. Now that we're past that, you guys can calm down. You can take a deep breath. Let's talk about Luke as a Jedi Master. I just want to talk about kind of the Luke that we see in this novel, where he is in his path as a Jedi. So the first quote I pulled here is from page 258. It says, he closed his eyes, focusing inward, finding his calm, trying to silence the doubt in his mind. He was a Jedi. His commitment to the ways of the Order ran deep. Yes, it was true he had power, but his connection to the Force was not a thing to covet. 
He had a responsibility to wield that power with care and restraint, every use of it taking him one step away from the darkness that he knew, despite everything, still lingered in his heart, as perhaps it did in the hearts of all sentient beings. Every action, one step toward the light. Later, on page 366, Luke knew the battle for Kaiser's soul was lost, but he would not give up. Luke Skywalker would never give up. He concentrated, focusing his mind, listening now to the maelstrom of noise around him. They were the voices of the dead, the thousands of lives that Exum Panchard had ended, absorbing their life force to gain power, enough to survive in his last relic, his ritual mask of meteoric bronze. Luke owed it to them. It was not revenge or punishment, but justice. On page 450, we have this quote. Truth was, something was still wrong. The disturbance in the force was gone, fading rapidly with the fall of Viceroy Exum Panchard and the destruction of his mask. The evil shadow of the Sith cast out into the void where it belonged. But there was still business left unfinished, and Luke, despite his best efforts, couldn't sense it. Actually, he couldn't sense anything. It wasn't that the Force had left him. That was an impossibility. But the power of Exum Panchard had managed to trap in his mask had been a power unlike anything Luke had encountered before. The shadow it had cast in the Force had been long and dark, and now it was gone. Luke's connection with the Force was clear and pure and also empty, like the disturbance had been the tolling of a great bell, and now that it was gone, the silence it left behind was almost more deafening. Luke knew it would pass. A disturbance like that would leave a wake that stretched long and wide and would take time to fully dissipate, but it unsettled him. He felt both at one with the force and apart from it, like he was straining all his senses to hear something, but there was only the echo of his thoughts in his mind. So, in this novel, we see a very powerful Luke Skywalker that's undeniable, and he's focused on the right things, right? Ridding the galaxy of evil, bringing peace, healing others, Training the next generation to do the same. Is, this, is the Luke that we see in this novel already falling victim to the hubris of the Jedi teachings, as he states Ooh. in The Last Jedi, or is he still on the right track here? Ooh, Charles. It's a heavy Dude. question, man. Uh, <laughs> I, I'll start simply by saying I think he's on the right track still. I think this is Master Luke. I think this is like a really great version of him. Um, he's teaching, he's listening. Um, I realized while reading this, that one of my favorite things in all Star Wars books is having writers just kind of wax poetic about the force. Like that, I think that's why the high Republic has been such a gift with Charles soul being like, Avar Chris had the song and was loaded and it was fire or, <laughs> or wind. And, you know, it's been so much fun because they write so much about the force and mm-hmm. way Adam Christopher writes in these quotes, you just put Luke feeling the shadow and feeling the force differences are so good and so intense that I think that he is still very keyed into listening to the universe. And he doesn't seem to be trying to lift the Jedi necessarily so much as he's trying to figure out a problem. And I think that's why I think Luke is still conceptually on like the, the path that Yoda would want, you know, of like, I'm listening to the universe and trying to help the force as be- as best I can. He's not yet on the, I need to be the most powerful. I need to stop the evil and destroy things. But I will say that one justice line is like maybe right on the edge. It's a little Batman-y. I agree. It's like, yeah. it's like right there. So if we're mm. if we're getting shades of it, that might be where it starts. But I would still say he's a uh, he's kind of like that that good Master Luke we see in um in the Rise of Kylo Ren comics as well that Charles Soule wrote. <clears throat> I think we're still in this this era of Luke. Yeah, that's interesting. I I think that Luke is. 
like there's some good debate happening in our comment section right now about kind of the state yeah, of Luke I, I and the, whether it tracks with uh, the sequel trilogy. And I think uh, I think this has always been sort of Luke's fatal flaw, even in Legends, was really that he was never able to totally separate from like, am, am I on the right track? Like he just constantly asked himself this question like it almost plagued him like honestly like he was just so unsure of himself like even even when we have mm-hmm. super ultra powerful luke he's still incredibly un- unsure of himself and it, it makes him act high and mighty at times it makes him act like like the hubris of the jedi is is in, in his own words is a perfect way to describe it like yes he, and then and so he'll do that and then in the next scene he will question whether or not he's even a jedi yet i mean it's crazy like that's how luke has always been even in legends i feel like so mm-hmm. you know i i've always been very much in the camp of this absolutely tracks like luke's outcome in the last jedi absolutely tracks with like how legends luke was portrayed and how canon luke is portrayed i've always been in that camp of like luke this doesn't surprise me at all that the canon luke like quit like he had a nervous breakdown (laughs) and quit i've always (laughs) i've always said that 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 fits his character arc like because he yeah. it seemed like even when he was a true master of the force he still had he was just plagued with doubt self-doubt and yeah. you know i think we saw that kind of throughout this as well yeah he's his own best critic yeah that's right or own worst critic worst or however critic, you say huh? that yeah because nothing will ever come to top what he thinks a jedi master should be Right. Like, even though he is, like, the quintessential Jedi Master in the sequel trilogy, I mean, there's more that he could be doing. He's he's striving to be maybe Master Yoda or Qui-Gon or something that he knows of um, that he sees as a symbolic master, but he hasn't quite hit that yet. Um, and one of the – in that last quote of him not being able to, being able to feel the Force is – interesting like you yeah when you when you hear when we've read many canon books and a lot of legends books you feel the force or you feel the dark side but there's never been like nothingness mm-hmm. nothingness like yeah. the nothing like the never-ending story have you ever seen that yes <laughs> <laughs> this is another movie pool you're welcome uh, <laughs> like yeah, that but nothing because there's there's so much doubt and like shrouded in that mask because Exim Panshard, is this the first time this has come up, or is mm-hmm. he has he been in canon yeah, somehow this or is in a comics? New one, I'm pretty sure. Ex, okay. So Exim okay. Panshard, I do believe, was technically in the Aftermath trilogy as well. Oh, was well. he mentioned in that one? I don't know. Th- With the okay. I don't know if he was mentioned by name, but I think, ah, I but think by that the idea, no, the yeah. idea of him has been brought up before. Yes. Okay, yeah. sorry uh, for ruining one of your Easter eggs. Man, that was number one. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Wes, you're also so right because I think that's also what has made like um, the nameless in the High Republic so terrifying. It's because when the Jedi yeah. get husked, that's what it's ri- it's written as like Dude, feeling yeah. the husked. nothingness because you it's an feel- unintentional barash vow. Right? It's like yes! for you. <laughs> Guys, oh Star God. Wars is rad. Look at all yeah. this. So Look awful. at all this. That's the nerdiest thing I've ever said. Um, oh, my God. Sometimes you know I have Star Wars podcast, my guy. I know. Sometimes I have almost an out of body experience thinking about how much I freaking know about Star Wars. Like, it is just kind of. If you just step back and think about like how many levels deep we are right now talking about this, it's just totally. 
totally no. insane. It really, really is. But and you yeah. went to yeah. medical school. Like the amount of hard drive space <laughs> is just insane. <laughs> oh man! Well, one day, I like one day it's gonna hit me. I, I don't like know what to do. The... All I can remember is how Luke was in Legends and how it doesn't track with how he was in canon. Oh. Uh, yeah. I, can't I can't remember the drug dose. I can't remember. Yeah, it's like when a hard drive just crashes and you're like, well, gotta get a new one. Like, can't fix it. Uh, <laughs> all right, this took a turn. All right. Well, I like, I like a lot of the points that y'all brought up. I like, Eric, that you caught that justice line because I think that was really interesting. And I like, Wes, that you brought up that there's a disruption in Luke's uh, connection to the force at the end is that what sends him in the wrong direction like is that sort of some of the consequences of the things that we saw in this story it's possible i think but mm. yeah i think we got to move on and we got to talk about luke's relationship with lando as kind of the next big question here <clears throat> big prompt here because that was something a lot of time was i think uh <clears throat> attributed to so Page 139, the first quote I have is, Truth was, it was good to see his old friend Lando again. It had been too long, and Luke had to admit he felt guilty about that, no matter how hard he tried to adhere to the Jedi code of casting personal connections aside. But now was certainly not the time or place for a reunion. Later on, page 154, it was ridiculous. Luke was a friend, a good one. But Lando also knew that they operated on different frequencies, was perhaps the best way to put it. Which was fine, absolutely, but Lando couldn't help but wonder if that time apart had stretched their camaraderie a little further than he had thought. On page 270, what did it mean to Luke, this family, alone against the Sith, pursued across the galaxy? They couldn't carry on forever. Their journey would end one way or another. It was up to them, the two of them, Lando Calrissian and Luke Skywalker, the impresario and the farm boy, the general and the Jedi, heroes of the rebellion, brothers in arms. And finally, on page 288, Lando had been through a lot, more than Luke could imagine. And now this, thrust into a quest with more questions than they had answers, and they hadn't even taken the time to get to know each other again. After this was over, Luke promised he'd make it up to his old friend. They had a lot of catching up to do, and Luke hoped they could take the opportunity to do so in a far happier time. So clearly, Luke and Lando, very complicated relationship in this novel, and though they have a lot of history and a deep respect for one another, I think that's clear, their friendship has fallen into disrepair. So how did it feel to see two of our original trilogy heroes fall apart like that? Uh, that's You actually reminded me of a, the, a really great scene in this, um, which kind of highlights my previous point about Luke, like always like like not really seeing the whole picture like he he has these weird sort of deep dives into the force like and he just kind of gets really like kind of tunnel vision for that that thing and then isn't able to see the bigger picture which is kind of what i think kind of happened with with ben with um you know ben solo and holding the lightsaber over him like he gets this tunnel vision for the force and he loses track right and uh it's when lando first shows back up to to tell tell Luke what's going on that he has this lead about the Sith and everything and Luke is just like not interested at all he's just like get out of here there's a bigger yeah. danger I saw it in the force five <laughs> minutes ago I don't I don't know where it is I don't know what it is but it's bad and it's dangerous and for some reason you can't be here like <laughs> and that that is like exactly how Luke is like he he just gets he has these moments where he is unable to like think things through. He becomes that really childish farm boy, I think, in a lot of ways. And like 
I think that is a, a good example of how the relationship is now, too. If, like, Luke is off doing his weird Jedi Force stuff, like, after Return of the Jedi, and nobody can really keep up with that because he's the only one. He's the only one that can do any of that. So, like, yeah. how, how can anybody possibly even, like, get to know Luke or understand it? And, you know, that Luke now feels like he's totally alone and all of that. So, yeah. you know... I, I had a question regarding this whole scenario. So, like, Lando overheard Ochia Bastoon talking to his goons about trying to kidnap a girl and and just for, for money or for for whatever, for the Sith Eternal, and, and Lando overheard this, and he's like, what is going on? And as I'm reading this, I'm like, does he feel about, does he hear this all the time, and he needs to, does he feel that this one instance in particular, he needs to take action or is it because he's just now heard this for the first time and because right. his daughter was to take in, it hit him a lot harder than he had to, he felt that he needed to do something that this was basically parallel with his daughter getting, getting kidnapped. He needs to do something here. The Sith eternal. Yes. He's heard it before. <laughs> it's gotta be super important. This person that they're going after has to be one of the most important people in the galaxy, if not the most important, um, but I, I, I just questioned that whenever I read that. I was just like, what makes this scenario here so important that Lando has to drop everything and convince Luke to go with him? Yeah. it's You know what, you know what, what really hit me about your question here, Charles, in relation to that? You say, like, how does it feel? It feels familiar is what it is. Because I think that it feels like every friend I had in my hometown or in an earlier part of my life that I just kind of fell out of contact with. That's like... You see each other every day. You mm-hmm. like with the rebellion friends, like oh, okay, we're in this high stakes thing, or you're in college, or you're in high school, and it's like we're in this together, we're in this together, and then you <laughs> move on, and you do different life paths, and you just fall out, and then you you, you talk it's like oh yeah, no, we're still friends, we, st- we still we still connect, but if something huge comes up, it's like hey, my daughter's missing, and or the galaxy's gonna die. It's like great, say when. <laughs> Say where it's like it's like yeah. that immediate call to action, and and you had those moments of like, oh, we don't really talk anymore, but I'm still your ride or die, and I think that's like such a cool thing because we haven't really seen that strenuous relationship necessarily because a lot in Star Wars we assume that all these people that happen to meet each other in the galaxy, of course, still remain close yeah. all the time. Like, no, there's they're no next way. door neighbors. <laughs> yeah. They're just. Yeah, they're in the same subdivision. Yeah. They bring in their trash cans on Mondays. Well, I mean, we did we did hear, you know, Uncle Wanwo, right? I mean, there was yeah. there were elements of, <laughs> oh, of we're that. still tight. So I think there is a little bit of a, a unique element with Luke. Yeah. But I like what you're saying, that Lando basically wrote in Luke's yearbook, Hags, and now it's been 15 <laughs> years. Hags. Exactly. Have a great summer. Oh, I got man, you. Man, that's a but now, but I, I But I also I do love that they're like, you know, it's been so long. But what a great moment to show that, and, and for all of us in, in real life, too, that even if you don't talk to your friends for a long time, I mean, a lot of us went two years without seeing any of our friends because of the pandemic. Like, you can still see each other, get through the initial awkwardness, and then continue to be friends. And I think that was a, again, I haven't said it this episode yet, writers write for the age in which they are living, right? Yeah, and I yeah. think there's no accident that a strained long-distance friendship coming together was written at this particular time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there was also an aspect of familiarity because we saw that Luke fell out of contact with everybody. 
yeah, y- yeah. you know, by the time we get to the last Jedi, I mean, he's literally a hermit yeah. again. Hey, but- man, we've all had friends find religion, and then they just don't talk to anybody. Like, hey, come on, and, like <laughs> he used to be really cool, and now all he does is like pray and meditate. Like, I don't know, it's I guess the whole thing. <laughs> but there- the kids on a mountain. I'm not. I'm not asking him about it. It's fine. But speaking of Tross, you know, there was that the Lando scene where they meet him, and he's like, "Yeah, Luke and I looked." You know, Luke and I looked everywhere. We never found him. And so there was always the question of, oh, so they were still, like, were they still close? And now we have that answer. Anyways, all that said, I think we've got to move on and talk about Lando Calrissian himself. Uncle Wanwo. Uncle Wanwo. We got to talk about his search for his daughter. Obviously, we've already kind of brought this up some, but I have some more quotes here I want to pull for y'all. Page 145. So they had searched, but as time had gone on, as leads had dried up, so the mission had drifted, along with friendships. Luke had his temple to focus on. Han and Leia had their own lives. Lando didn't blame them. In the end, the problem, the pain, was his to bear. So Lando had continued his search alone. On page 231, oh, actually, I want to go back. I want to point out Han and Leia had their own lives, not their son. They had their own lives. I thought that was interesting. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Page 231. Luke was worried about him. Despite his outward appearance, his charisma, his confidence, Lando had spent six years in a personal hell, his life torn apart after the kidnapping of his daughter. And that had changed him. How could it not? Sure, Lando was still the free spirit. He was still immaculately dressed and presented. And when he smiled that smile, Luke could see his old friend in there. But there was something else now just beneath the surface. Again, Luke didn't need to use the force to sense it. The loss, the pain, the hurt... That Lando was holding it together so well was a testament to his strength and resilience. Lando Calrissian was a self-made man, the great impresario. He would let nothing beat him. Not then, certainly not now. And then on page 389, the last one. And then Lando wondered what his final thought would be. Something profound, deep, meaningful? Some observation of his own character? Some sudden, regretful realization of his place in the galaxy? Of the things he had learned or should have learned? Or would it just be a single moment of terror, a split-second recognition that he was alone and he was going to die and there was nothing he could do about it? Or perhaps one last memory of love, of the mother of his daughter, of his daughter herself, of Kadara Calrissian, the little girl he couldn't save. So, I think it's safe to say Lando's kidnapped daughter was one of the more underdeveloped plot points from The Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, yeah. Did this novel help to make that moment feel more bona fide, feel more authentic? Oh, man, that's a good question. I I mean, yes, but also no a, a little bit for me. Yeah. Well, it, mm. it confirmed that they didn't do the stupid thing of making the only, like, black characters father and daughter. Like, I, 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 yeah. yes. the elephants in the room. Yes. That was a huge thing where it's like, oh, this is of a black woman. They're she related. must be related to yeah. Lando. Yeah. And uh-huh. I was like, I'm yeah, so glad right. that we got rid of that. Um yeah. Exactly. Kind of, so, if, if nothing not, else, the fact that we put that to bed is like, yeah, thank yeah. God. But I'm interested, Corey, why you say yes and no. I, I'm, st- I still find the whole plot, like, if there's a plot point that just feels weirdly out of place of of the entire sequel trilogy, I think it's the whole Lando's daughter was kidnapped thing. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I can. Even all the other crazy stuff, Palpatine, <laughs> Ray Palpatine, yeah. and all the other insane stuff that happens—the dagger being perfectly shaped like the Death Star—like all of those crazy things that are kind of laughable. This one is so odd that like mm-hmm. this was just thrown in. Like, I wonder if it was ever supposed to have been like really developed. Like, I, I mean, they kind of imply throughout, you know, that 
uh, Rise of Skywalker and in this book, like she was kidnapped and forced into uh, like stormtrooper servitude is kind of how it's implied, right? Like she was cons- uh, she was conscripted, I guess, but like yeah. it's still odd to me. So like it's I'm st- I still haven't like come around to like the plot point itself yet really even like so even even with it being as much as in in this book like maybe if we got her story eventually like if if we Mm -hmm. do hear her side of the story maybe it'll all the pieces will kind of fit together still but it still to me feels like a bit like a plot point that desperately needs to be explained that that maybe the author felt like he had to do something with it like to some degree and Mm -hmm. Because obviously something like that would have a huge impact on Lando as a person and his character yeah. arc and everything. So, like, you have to do it. But, man, he was – talk about being pigeonholed. Uh, he absolutely had to tell this story. He had no choice. I mean, it, it would obviously yeah. impact him. So you see what I'm saying? So, like, yeah. yes and yeah. no. Like, like, yes, I'm glad so, that we got some of the story. But also it feels like he was maybe forced to write it, you know? Yeah. yeah. I think what you're saying and what I, what I would agree with is that the plot point itself still – feels off but adam christopher Uh did as much with it as he probably could have because he wrote it very well absolutely all the father-daughter stuff was impeccable like yeah yeah. it was so good it was beautiful but i'm also like i'm surprised that you know they're they're all like the trolls that were like well how does ray know this without a lot of training and i'm like i was more worried about they're telling me are you telling me that lando calrissian doesn't use protection (laughs) Lando Carissian. <laughs> like, that's where we go. Come on. As far oh as logic goes. Wes, Wes, go to the, go to the technical difficulties. Okay. In all seriousness, though, I think, I mean, I think you said it the best you can. I think that, like, the father-daughter stuff in here that is written now into the saga. Like, it, it is historical now, Star uh-huh. Wars fact. Yep. I think mm-hmm. Adam Christopher wrote it beautifully. And I love seeing Lando have those moments of conflict of, like, I don't want to keep just leaning on my friends here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But also, like, my daughter is still <clears throat> gone. Like, that that's right. still kind of, like, the worst thing that can happen to a person. And yep. he's, you know, that, that balance of I don't want to, you know, <clears throat> push too far or not, I thought it was handled very well. Um, and also wasn't too easy to rectify it wasn't luke being like oh yeah right your daughter never mind let's go back to that like it was still a pretty mm-hmm. hard thing and he's like i'll help you with your daughter but at the same time the future of the galaxy is still more important and what a hard conversation to have oh yeah how do you tell you like one of your best friends one that's like risked his life for you more than on more than one occasion that your daughter isn't the most important thing on my mind yeah, right now. Yeah, right. God. Listen, I'm gonna need you to pull it That's together for rough. a little bit. All right, we got some, <laughs> we got some stuff to do. Yeah. you know that actually makes me ask. I have a, a question actually about all this. Is like, does do Luke and Lando actually ever have like a decent conversation about it in this book? I don't think they do. I, I, Not a I don't think they do. They come together moment. Most they both have this internal dialogue a little yes. bit, but I don't think really either one of them. I thought I thought that was a little odd that it was never like kind of openly. Discussed. Well, I think like, that's I think that's one of those like smaller tragedies of the whole saga is that Luke uh-huh. repeatedly says like when things calm down, like we're yeah. gonna reconnect yeah. and we're gonna get through this and we're gonna talk about <clears throat> this and we know that that moment never comes. So like yeah, it, it, it's just like you the original trilogy almost ends with like the you know riding off into the sunset, everything's fine. But then we have the sequel trilogy going to be like, actually, everything fell apart. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So right. it's yeah, which right, tracks, right, right. which again, going yeah. back to yeah. do to what I'm saying about Luke is like he 
is really not a good friend. <laughs> like he's the opposite. That's true. No, I think that's just Anakin. true. Actually, yeah. he's the opposite of Anakin. Like his head yeah. is only selfish. Yes, he is. He's, his head is only in like galactic yeah. matters. Like it's not in, yeah. you know, the little stuff. Yeah, it's not in in, in the little stuff. As, uh, as somebody said this earlier in the comments, something about the horizon, which that whole. That Yoda line when he's in the hut is probably my favorite line in all of Star Wars when he says, he says he's like, adventure, ha, excitement, ha, all your life you've looked away to the future. You know what I'm talking about? Like, is that yeah, the whole yeah, little yeah. dialogue bit is just, I mean, he, yeah. he like, like what? doesn't he know Luke really at all. He doesn't know <laughs> yeah. Luke at all, really, that personally, but he's seen him in the force and has been watching him all this time. Like, he knows him inside and he knows his heart, right? And yeah. that is very much what Luke has always been. And this book tracked perfectly with that maybe actually you know this is one of those things where like when we get together and talk about it it changes my view a little bit maybe this is a, a feature and not a bug right that like yeah, like sure, this sure. is highlight the fact that luke and lando never talked about it is highlighting luke's own flaws with in being unable yeah. to keep these like relationships connected and and yeah, yeah I, I like that actually walking yeah. away with hey, this li- so. listeners viewers real quick from your friends at the living force if your buddy's daughter goes missing, ask him about it. Okay, <laughs> yeah. just like have a conversation. Learn yeah, from. Don't real. be a Luke. Yeah. Don't be a Luke. Yeah. Be a Lando. Luke is I like silencing an Amber Alert on his cell phone and be like, "Anyways, like yeah. it's exactly. just not no." Exactly. Yeah, I mean, Luke never says, second. "Listen, man, I know what you're dealing with. I know what this means to you, but there's nothing we can do right now." Like he, yeah. he never says that, right? And he's not there for Lando, and it's it's a little weird. It's a little weird. Like it is. Yeah. But I think it tracks. I think it tracks with Luke's character for sure. Yeah. Well, I want to talk a little bit more about Lando, but I want to come at the character kind of from a different angle. So I have a couple more quotes Mm -hmm. for you. First from page 58. But even in the distorted reflection, he could not see the... I'm sorry. He could see not just the years, but his worries sitting heavily on him. There were tight lines around his eyes. Once, he would have called them laughter lines, but not anymore. His eyes were bright and sparkled with an inner light that Lando had learned to use as he turned on the charm, the smiles, the pleasantries to get what he invariably wanted. But there was one thing his charm couldn't get. One problem his sly command of body language, his wiles, and his wit couldn't solve. He hadn't found his daughter, Kadara. Then, much later in the book, page 425, he was a general, a leader. Before that, baron administrator of an entire city. Before that, traitor, a good one, too. Smuggler, even better. Scoundrel, sometimes. Gambler, often. And now, a lost father, an aging hero getting older by the second. He shook his head. He knew these thoughts, knew how dangerous they were. He'd wrestled with them over the years, over the past six years. But had he really... But had he really lost it, was he really getting too old? Or did he just need to remember how to unlock that fire, that spirit within himself? So a significant amount, I think, of Lando's characterization, at least in the original trilogy, if not well beyond that, comes from his youth, his good looks, his dress, his charm, all these things, mm-hmm. right? Who is yeah, Lando yeah. Calrissian? <clears throat> exactly. So in this novel, we see him losing some of those things. So yeah. who is he? Who is Lando Calrissian when you strip away those more superficial <laughs> things? And how was that exhibited in this novel? Yeah. You know what that question. reminds me of? It's like that moment in the Avengers where Captain America goes into Iron Man and he says, take off the suit, who are you? Yeah. And he's like, you know, <laughs> you millionaire, you playboy, cape, Lando? Pr- philanthropist, <laughs> <Yeah>. or whatever. <laughs> but, I, but I think that's a very real thing. It's like this, this like playboy thing is such a vibe for Lando. And even in the original trilogy, like you said, Charles, 
He's charming. Oh, he's he's wooing Leia. You but truly also, belong with us here among the clouds. Like yeah. <laughs> impeccable. But at the same time, he's also like <laughs> leading leading a a kind of small rebellion against the Empire on Bespin. He's also flying the Falcon. He's also going into the Death Star in the Battle of Endor. Like he is still doing these yeah. grand heroic things. And I think that you know Han is the is the typical reluctant hero, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm only in it for the money, sweetheart. And then he comes in. But I think Lando is almost that to a higher extent where he is the gambler. He's actually been doing more of the stuff Han says he does. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, Lando is actually always there for you. Uh, and I think that's kind of what he's realizing that he is, that aside from the capes, aside from the money, aside from the gambling, Lando really does want to be there for people. And I think, as we're seeing here, becoming a father kind of just exemplified that. But yeah. throughout this entire mm-hmm. book... His main goal is to be there for someone, whether that's Kadara, whether it's to Luke, whether it's to Komat, like whoever he's focused on, he wants to help. And I think that he's just discovering that a little later in his age, whereas other people kind of find that when they're younger and then grow up. Yeah, I think like earlier, like in his early years, he's built up a confidence that that has aided him in his in his later years. Mm -hmm. So. That confidence helps him to take these initial steps to go to Luke and say, hey, I need help. I need help with something. I can't always help everybody, but now I need help with this. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of hard to do for some, some people, especially Lando, to ask for help. Like, yeah. I need help with this. Totally. I can't, yeah. ha- I can't do this all by myself. I don't know what that's like so, at all, uh, being uh, having a def- difficult time asking for help. Nope. Never experienced that. <laughs> 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 Yeah, I think uh, I think we definitely. I don't. I can't really put my. I can't really put put the right word to it, but like I think I think we definitely can see sort of the echoes of the trauma that losing his daughter has had on on his wit and his yeah. charm and his playboy nature, like kind of throughout this entire book. I mean, even in the opening scene where he's at the gambling table or whatever, it's like he was trying real hard, but then he got super distracted with that whole, you know, yeah. listening on Ochi of Vestoon and kind of eavesdropping. And, like, it's, I don't know, it's changed him. Like, it certainly has. Mm-hmm. Like, he, you can't be this sort of fake playboy kind of thing when you have something that aches you like that. So, mm-hmm. I, And, I mean, we all remember in the midst of all this, there is still technically a Lando TV show on the way. That I mm. hope really kind of goes into more of this stuff. Yeah. Um, is it the side? Of, is it the older side of Lando? <laughs> Even if it's younger, does it go to him again, getting distracted by mm-hmm. his better nature and things like that? So, yeah. uh, I don't know. Like, is that show still real? We'll find out. But like, it would be nice <laughs> if it was. They would do a little more of this. It was a good plug at the very end of the book, though, to make you think a new show would come up. Mm-hmm. Lando Calrissian Chronicles. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah, that was <laughs> Did I, do you that guys was ever good. hear? He like starts at the very beginning. You're like, oh my god, we're gonna go all the way through the book again because <laughs> it starts right Gosh. at the beginning. Did you guys ever hear? And I'm sorry, we'll go to the next character in a second, Charles. I know you're. you're this sorry, outlet's Charles. amazing. Did you guys ever hear the pitch for what people want the show to be? Where it's Billy D. Williams narrating the Calrissian Chronicles, and then he has flashbacks, and it's <clears> Donald Glover <throat> acting it out. Wow! But it's like, an, awesome. but if it was an unreliable narrator, it's like, so then I did this thing, and then. Donald Glover's like, no, you went, no, I didn't. Wait a minute. And so it's like, is Lando yeah. embellishing? Is he not? They probably won't do that, but come on. If we can get both of them That's on fantastic. the same show, write the checks. Yeah. Write the checks. Billy Dee Williams is still fantastic. I mean, he was amazing in The Rise of Skywalker, yeah. too. Like, I loved getting him back. He's in, he, he's in Lego Summer Vacation. He I know. He's, he's still got it. It's so funny. There was a... Yeah. 
There's a really subtle reference to Billy D. Williams in uh, in Futurama. I watched an episode of it the other night. It was hilarious. <laughs> and there's this uh, there's this like like bottle of uh, like whiskey that Bender is gonna steal. It's really it's a tiny little scene. He's gonna steal, and it's like super super strong whiskey. And there there's, there's this funny line that he says that uh, the whiskey is so strong it's it's deadly to all all humans. And the only people that can drink it are robots and Billy D. Williams. And then it just moves right <laughs> on past it. And it's just like, okay. Billy D. Williams so has random. had enough cold 45 exactly. in his life. Why not? Yeah. Exactly. Why it's so not? Oh, amazing. All right. Well, let's move on Orlando. from <laughs> the man, the myth, the legend. And let's talk about two characters who uh, I was really taken aback by throughout this entire novel and it's Dathan and Miramir. We're going to talk about them kind of as yes! a pair here. Okay. Yeah. Ray's parents, for those of you not in the know. They would like that. I think they would get to name them. them. Did he get to name them? Uh, Adam Christopher got to name them, right? He did. Man, he what an them. honor. What an honor. That's cool, man. I'm glad yeah. that yeah. he got to do that. <clears throat> so a few quotes for you on page 20. Exasperated, Miramir reached down the front of her tunic and pulled out a thin silver chain. She held it up, showing the amulet that hung on it. It was stylized, dagger-like, the symbol somehow sinister. We are being hunted by the Sith. Dathan felt his stomach drop. The amulet, the hex charm, was his. He'd carried it all his life, even when he fled home. He'd kept it with him, a symbol of everything he hated and everything he was determined never to be. Kept it with him, but had been unable to stomach wearing it. Years ago, Miramir had taken the hex charm from him and promised to keep keep it close to her own heart, a symbol now of the way their love could overcome any evil. On page 265, It's not your legacy that defines you, Dathan, said Miramir quietly, or your genetic makeup. We've been through this before, and I know we'll go through it again, and we'll go through it as many times as we need to until the day we die. She smiled and cupped her husband's face in her hands. You are you. You are Dathan. You are defined by your choices. You are defined by your actions. And right now, Ray and I need you. On page 433, these are some of Miramir's final thoughts. Actually, her, her final thoughts, point blank period. This is how it ends, and it ends now. But at least, Ray, you are safe. And maybe one day you will remember me, and you will remember your father, and feel our love for you forever. But now you are safe, and you must be patient. But you are safe, my love. You are safe you are safe. You are silence. And on that same page, she looked into the eyes of Ochi of Bastoon, and as the light went out in her own, she smiled at him. One final act of defiance, one final gesture of noncompliance. Ochi of Bastoon had killed her, but he hadn't won. He would never win. So we learn more about Dathan and Miramir in this book than I honestly thought we ever would. So how did all of this backstory change your view of not only Ray's parents, but Ray herself? Um, I'm going to say something as the, the Bail Organa lover that I am. <laughs> um, these were, I think, the best written parents in Star Wars in this book, mm. straight up. I think that the chapters, I've never seen a better written example of like a father and mother's love, both for their child and for each other. Um. The way that Dathan, like, watches Miramir and he describes his wife in the worst <clears throat> amount of times, like, is, like, inspiring for what love can be between yeah. a couple. And how they – like, we asked him about this when we interviewed him. Like, how they talk about Ray's baby blanket and, like, being boarded by pirates in the same bit. Like, the way that they never lose sight of the fact what's important for her really is so key. And I think that 
to answer your bigger question, how did it change for them? One, I mean, naming them, making sure, like, not only were they good people, they were who Ray thought they were. Because yeah. Ray, in the sequel trilogy, is waiting for the, her parents, and we're like, oh, they're junk traders, they're whatever they are. Her ideology is these perfect people. These are traitors. They're <laughs> for drinking money. Um, I think that Ray is not me. Like Ray is waiting for people that are kind of perfect parents. And in this book, it says no. She was right. Her childhood memories were validated for me. And I think for Ray herself, that now makes her actually even more of a. I don't know if valid or legitimate is the right word, but like I'm losing any others. Like her memory is accurate. Like she is actually remembering the love and the compassion. Yeah. Of her parents in a very mm-hmm. real way. She's not foolish. She's not putting them on a pedestal. She is going to experience incredible loss that she doesn't know about. But this character remembers love and support and connection. And that has actually been fueling her for when we meet her like 10 years. So I think it actually makes her a, a much stronger person if that was even possible. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. So, so, um, Miramir and Dathan's prepaid visa card ran out yes it did right <laughs> so ray Preach. had to get a job early. that did yes <laughs> that's that's the she reason why that she was scavenging <laughs> that but is like <laughs> miramir every time i heard that name i was i always think of guinevere so miramir and guinevere oh yeah so that that just hit oh, me when i first musical. read that mm-hmm. but um, what's ray's your favorite character isn't she she is. So, I mean, she like, is. this must have meant a lot to you, or I would think it would have. It did. It did in the fact that I finally got to know why she was yeah. put on Jakku. Well, everybody got yeah. to know why she was put on Jakku and why she was so steadfast at saying, no, I have to be here. I've been gone far too long. I need to get back yep. to Jakku. Yep. Because her parents said, hey, we'll be back in, you know, what from what I read, it's like, between three and four months. Yeah. It's just one more we'll season. We'll be back to get you. It's just one more yeah. season. Just one more season. We'll <laughs> <laughs> be back to get you. Hey, and she's but like, that's well, a maybe whole year. A whole other yeah. year. <laughs> I'm going I'm, I'm to go, go out. I'm going to get a pack of death sticks. I'll be right back. I, I promise I'm coming right yeah. back. And which, was, which was great, but also terrible at the same time. Yeah. But you also get an insight into why Ray really wants to go back to Jack who, why she's, I mean, her parents are the only people she's really ever known. Um, she, did, we didn't read about her having really any friends. It's just been her and her parents basically um, hiding out on mm-hmm. the run. Mm-hmm. Um, we have that great, um, we have that great like scene of, of uh, Dathan getting smuggled out of um, out of Exegol. Yeah. Right? By, by another and, character named Dathan, by the way. He took that guy's yeah. name. <laughs> yeah, he stole yeah, his yeah, name. Yes, exactly. I love that. Took that his name as an homage. As, well. as homage, great yeah. Chapter. And um, with uh, Laura Santeca helping with that as well, I believe. Um, yep. So that this whole Dathan, Miramir, Ray, this was a this was a big piece to to my love of Star Wars and why yeah. Ray is one of my favorite yeah. characters. So I, I really appreciated these parts. I just I, got, I this there's no wonder this book is so damn long because it covered <laughs> so it gets everything many right. Yeah. Like it covers so many things about the sequel trilogy. I'm just like. I'm just like remembering all of it as we're talking. I forgot about the whole Lor Santeca stuff that happened. Holy shit, that yeah. was in this book too. I <laughs> like the, the, that Luke stuff. was like, "Hey, Lor, can you just stay and oversee the rest of this dig, and I'll be back when I can." Never goes back. Never goes back. Never goes back. <laughs> Never goes back. <laughs> Lor is still. Lore is still, yeah, still on Yoturba or whatever that planet was. Just like, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, they've been digging the whole time, and all of a sudden they show up. They're like, "Oh." 
found yeah. something. Not to mention <laughs> Beaumont being <laughs> at the day. Yeah, okay. By the I was way, I was going to bring up Beaumont because um, I found this. This is kind of awful. I hope you guys won't hate me for saying this. Oh, um, I think I this is. I think this is a credit to how insignificant and unneeded of a character he was in the Rise of Skywalker. I realize that's a really negative take, but this is. It's a credit to how insignificant and unneeded he was as a character. Because the audiobook narrator, I don't think that he got the memo that he was a character like in a film that had dialogue. Yep. Yep, because he, he has a he has a thick ass French accent <laughs> in the but like he sounds like one of the Twi'leks from freaking Ryloth. That's his Beaumont. Of course he's a French That's guy, hilarious. but no, man, it's freaking Pippin from That's Lord a, of the Rings. Like it's it's a city in Texas. He no, could have sounded like Mary. Texas. It was Mary, not or Mary. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Mary, not Pippin. How dare sorry. you? Yeah, I know. Sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry. No, it's just, it just, shows, it's just, it's just it, it, funny. Yeah, it goes to show that, I mean, I, I will say, I liked his usage because like, oh, Beaumont Kin, that's a fun little thing. But I don't think, spoilers for our two weeks from now when we talk about Rise of Skywalker again, uh, Beaumont Kin, <laughs> everything with Beaumont Kin just should have been Rose. So... All that it's just, to it's just say, funny because this this book does literally truly fill in nearly every single everything. major plot hole from yes. <laughs> the Rise of Skywalker. Yes. It's just hilarious that it covers so much. Like, I, I really they really should have like handed this book out like at the premiere of the Rise of Skywalker. And said, <laughs> Come back this, this movie's not going to hurry up and read this before you watch the There are a lot of previews. Exactly. Uh, the audiobook well, was like 17 hours, by the way. So, yeah, it, oh, wow. it, it tracks that it, yeah, so much. Well, I, the big thing that I wanted to point out that I found very heartbreaking <laughs> about this entire story, like, I, I will say that the Dathan and Miramir stuff, while it was really good, and I enjoyed learning <laughs> about these characters, and everything they did exemplified their love for their daughter, and that was very important for us to learn, I think, as an audience. Um mm-hmm. A lot of the things they did ultimately amounted to, and they kept getting chased, right? So some of <laughs> yeah. those moments like felt long to me, even though I yeah. liked what I was getting. Yep. But what really mm. broke my heart was this. The whole, it's not your legacy that defines you. It's your choices. It's your actions. Um, because that's what, that's the lesson Ray learned. And mm-hmm. she needed to learn that from her parents, and her parents weren't there. <clears throat> and look at what she had to go through to learn that lesson in the yeah. sequel trilogy. Yeah, yeah. so that yeah, that hit true. me pretty hard. That's true. Yeah, I, I I think overall I'm very satisfied with you know the the characterization of Ray's parents and the way that like they talked about the past with just a subtle amount. Like you can't really go into too much detail. I feel like about Exegol because mm-hmm. if you if you if we go in too much depth in regards to like all the arcane evil Sith spiritual stuff, it sort of loses a little of its a little of its mystery and magic. Right. You know what I mean? So that's I, a good point. I love that. Yeah. I love that they made him like kind of like a, a poor narrator remembering his story a little bit, like of of leaving the place and the way he talked about like everyone. No one paid him any attention. They didn't know who he was. Like he kind of come and go as he pleased. Like he talked about. What it was like to live on Mexico. I mean, you he can't... was the abomination. I think they called him. <clears throat> yeah, the abomination. The abomination. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So... Floor sweep. Exactly. Yeah. So I was, I was a big so... fan. I was a big fan of all these stories, yeah. and I think it sets Texas up what Ray's... dogs are made out of. <laughs> I think it sets up raised memories of her parents like perfectly. Really, it's no wonder yeah, she's yeah. looking into the mirror so desperately, trying to see who her parents are and 100%. who she is, because mm-hmm. she has no idea. All yeah. she knows is that these parts are. 
Yesterday they were worth a half portion each, and now they're worth <laughs> one quarter portion. <laughs> yeah, there was not a better babysitter in the galaxy than Alcar Plutt. Oh man! <laughs> hey, you know what? She survived like over a decade, and he just like said, hey. "Eat sand and suck." Yeah. Like, he's something right <laughs> with the heart of gold. Uncar Plutt with the heart of Apparently. gold. Oh, Hero of the sequel trilogy, Uncar Plutt. I, think I we loved can all agree. His, I loved the line. I loved the line that he said. Where where Dathan hands him the the friggin' uh, amulet and he's like this is more than a lo- more than enough and he's like without missing a beat he says something like hmm I don't know if there's ever more than enough <laughs> just <Yeah>. like <laughs> and Corey you're like a man after Speaking my own heart my language <laughs> my guy. just like you Corey <laughs> yeah, Corey is Corey's the uncard plot of Utini guys <laughs> <laughs> well let's go oh, from funny. talking about one disgusting <laughs> potato of a person to <laughs> Ochia Bastoon, another disgusting person, because this oh guy sucks, guys. Um, <laughs> yes, read these quotes, brother. <laughs> let's let's run right. through these quotes. Page 40. This is about Ochi's first trip to Exegol. It's a lot of the backstory. It was the Kyber Mountain that had scarred Ochi. As he watched the crystals being ripped from their formations, they had screamed out in pain, releasing a burst of energy that seared the skin from his skull and burned his eyes from their sockets. There you go, Wes. Ochi remembered the pain. Thank he remembered the darkness, and he remembered the voice of Emperor Palpatine, deep and melodic and almost soothing, as the Sith Eternal repaired him, replaced his eyes, gave him the cybernetic head unit to compensate for the damaged parts of his brain. But to be repaired was not the same as to be healed. After the accident, Ochi wasn't the same, not just because of his injuries, but because of something else, deep inside him that had changed. He had seen the light of Exegol, and it was beautiful, powerful, the power to destroy, but the power to heal to renew, to make whole again. Now, much later on page 440, we see Ochi really descending into madness during his quest. Ochi shook his head and took a swig from his flask, refilled not with Abrax, but a sickly blue liquid he had tapped from the coolant system of his hyperdrive (laughs) motivator. It was thick and sweet and did extremely pleasant things to his other senses as it coated his tongue and mouth, the burn in his throat mixing with the hot metal taste of blood. So... Jesus. You know, first of all, okay. Second of all, 10 out of 10 do not recommend, and I say that as a doctor. <laughs> um, this dude literally opened up an inch in coolant line and drank antifreeze out of his What's in here? Like, what the hell? No, that will Jesus. literally... Who's, yeah, just, no. who's to say he's not pouring hypnotic into his... Into his <laughs> yeah. or his hypnotic! Same stuff. Was it the Sith dagger, really, or was it the purple drink? We'll never know. On, <laughs> on page... On page 444, Ochi's final moments, he remembered the father and he remembered the mother. Her name was Miramir, and now, as the world disintegrated around him, he remembered her face. He had thought she was afraid of Ochi of Bastoon, the greatest bounty hunter the galaxy had ever known. But no, she wasn't afraid of him. She wasn't even thinking of him as he pushed the blade into her body, letting it drink of her blood. She was thinking of her daughter, the child Ochi had been tasked to find, the child that was still out there somewhere, hidden, safe. And then Ochio Bastoon held his head back optics to the sky as his head sank beneath the surface. The Sith dagger held high, slashed in the desert sun. Then it, too, was gone as the sinking sands of the forbidden valley of Pisana claimed another unwary traveler to their suffocating depths. So, this might sound crazy, guys, but do you have any empathy for Ochio Bastoon given all he really wanted was to be healed? 
Absolutely nah, not. Bro. No, this guy's not a single no! ounce, not even a <laughs> teaspoon of empathy tried. for this guy. No! I tried. He sucks. <laughs> no. Ochi I... Bestoon sucked real hard. Sucked real hard. All right, so let's talk yeah, about Ochi for a second. Is he <laughs> so there was this whole story about him going with Vader to Exegol and stuff. Was that in the comics somewhere that I've I've missed? Yeah, yeah. He and Vader hang out in Exegol and he sucks there too. Don't worry about it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I thought he, I thought he did. Yeah. Is this scene yeah. that he's talking about, like where it does his eye, yes. where it, that's all in the comics? Do you happen to know where that is? Like in case our listeners are interested, is it the, is it the Vader it's, comic it's, though? It's the Greg. It's Darth Vader. It's the Greg Pack run. Um, <clears throat> I forget which volume it is, but it's like it is in. So Darth Vader, I believe that run started in twenty twenty or twenty twenty one. I believe it's twenty twenty. Uh, but Greg Pack's Darth Vader run. That's where you see him and Ochi. So if you want to check that out. Go check out those uh, those volumes. They're all collected in trade paperbacks. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I was curious because that that whole story was. I vaguely remember him being in a comic, and this yeah. the yeah. way they told the story and the way it sort of it glazed over it a little bit. I was like, this story has to exist. There's no way that yeah. that yeah. it's it's just gloss over like this. But yeah, yeah, man, I hate this guy. Uh, Ochi sucks real hard. I think you nailed it, Charles. Um, <laughs> like I didn't like him at all through the whole book. If the, someone said in the comments, if like. If it was the mission to make us hate him, like mission accomplished, like for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. The narrator did a great job of making his voice very annoying. Yes, oh, yeah. Really? His Whenever voice. He, he sounds <laughs> on like the audio book. If you snake, like he's snaky. I guess if that makes sense, he sounds like <laughs> yeah. a snake. Like yeah, I was a, yeah, well, I was and a and big I fan of like, the depiction. And in Star Wars, we have plenty of villains that are like unlikable <laughs> or that are evil, but they're still fun to read. For for me, I think o- Ochi is <laughs> Ochi was so awful and unlikable that that honestly i i every time there was an ochi chapter that came up and then again this isn't necessarily on the writing of it but it was just like the I, I did not look forward to ochi showing up i was like if we could get maybe like 30 40 percent less ochi because like here he's he's kind of drunk and he's an asshole to someone and then he's kind of drunk and he's an asshole to someone else and i'm like <laughs> Bro, yeah. But the only good thing was knowing that eventually he is just a skull under the sand and he will die alone. And I'm like, thank God, because yeah. he his like it. Cadillac. <laughs> in his part of me, <laughs> yeah. part of me wanted him his hood to, ornament to like, yeah. Part of me wanted him to actually succeed so he get back to Exegol. And then the Sith of Turner are like, "What are you doing here, dude?" Yeah. He's like, "I'm here. <laughs> you I'm do here you have here. an appointment?" Do powerful. They're like, "Do you have an appointment?" You yeah. said it was a yeah, costume right? party. No it's one like, else. Do you have your badge? Like, well, up like an asshole. It was interesting. Maybe Eric, having read some of his comics, maybe you can fill yeah. me in because I'm curious. Sure. Why does everyone think going to Exegol will heal them? Because like he was on Exegol when he was injured, and they gave him everything mm-hmm. he already had. So like, why would going back? offer him something new i didn't fully understand that from what i understood because there's there's less in the comics honestly regards to that because like one of the unfortunate things about the comic is that it it has to pause the exegol storyline to do war of the bounty hunters so there's kind of like this awesome vader ochi exegol thing and then it's like but also hans and carbonite and crimson dawn and like it it just as, as comics do when you do crossovers sometimes you just you just lose it but um, I, overall, the, the vibe I got from the little I could see in the comic and in this book was that, oh, they're making Palpatine anew. Like, they clearly have something to reanimate, to remake life in totality. Right. And I think that, like, <laughs> like, that kind of stuff I actually dug. I did, like, the idea of Ochi being like, I just want to be whole again. The Sith had discovered immortality. You know, 
uh, the powers that are unnatural, all that kind of stuff was fascinating to me. And I think if he had just maybe treated literally anyone, any droid, anything with a modicum of semi-decency, I would have been like, eh, I get where he's coming from. But, like, he just – nothing. No one. Yeah. And, like, every line of dialogue, every action it was just almost cruel to this, for the <clears throat> sake of being cruel. Yeah. Then I'm like, yeah, like I, his... I don't want, I don't want the, the, like, I almost feel bad for the Sith. I'm like, don't waste anything on this man. Don't waste right. anything on Ochi. <laughs> he doesn't, doesn't even feel like he's like really on like a quest for power or anything. He doesn't really have any yeah. real motivations. Like he's just yeah, yeah. a shitty he's person. People. <laughs> There's no yeah. other way around. Yeah. He just, he, was... he sucks, man. Like, like Brandon sucks. had pointed out that he's so mean to Dio in this, and you can yes. see why in the movie. Dude, why that made so me skittish. so freaking mad every yeah. single time. Dio's oh the God. family poor, dog. Poor sure. little J.J. Abrams. Yes. Every single time. Always think of yeah. that. Yeah. It is like it, it is. It is literally that that binary thing. Like someone could be super evil, but you're like, I'll deal with it. And then they kick a dog, and you're like, I will murder you. Yeah. Exactly. Like, I will literally <laughs> end you. Yeah. Well, yeah. aside from that, sorry, Charles. No, if you if you if you play Call of Duty, there you get like a pack of dogs with you that'll chase you after you and like try to kill you. Uh-huh. You have to shoot dogs uh-huh. to like nope. get them from coming Take at me. you. It's Take terrible. Me. No, it's terrible. Absolutely it's a not. terrible part of the You're game. You're OG Festoon. Literally. To lighten the mood, I randomly while we were doing this roundtable thought about um, I want someone to clip together a scene from <clears throat> Mrs. Doubtfire where she takes the emblem off the Sith hex charm off the front of Ochi's car. And puts it in in her purse. You guys watched Miss Doubtfire? Seen that movie? Not years. Okay. Well, she take she takes the. I think I've. She said. I think I found. uh, That's to my Mercedes. Oh. She rips the hood emblem off of a guy's car that she doesn't like, and then hands it to him and says she found it. I want that edit. Can we do that? Cut that together. Cut that together, folks. (laughs) No problem. But let's let's wrap this up because I want to know y'all's thoughts on kind of Ochi's relationship with the Sith dagger. So so just quickly, a couple of quotes. Page. Oh, you own that big expensive car yes. out there. <laughs> yes. Thank what? You. Sorry, just coming back to Thank me, Charles. You, yes. <laughs> just coming back to me. It's amazing. Okay, so page fifty-one. As he held the dagger, Ochi felt something—not a presence as such, but something smaller, if just as malevolent. The feeling was, he realized, coming from the dagger itself, like the relic was somehow alive, alive and hungry for blood, for death, for killing. On page two twenty-two. Ochi, Sith dagger firmly in his grip, was oblivious to everything. The ancient weapon was clean and dry, having absorbed Anaximander's blood to the very last drop. The blade hummed in Ochi's mind. As soon as he had stabbed the regent captain, he knew the first cut had been fatal, that death had been unstoppable. Somehow, the blade knew as well. It knew, and it reveled in the murder. And this feeling passed back to Ochi. He stood, savoring the moment Anaximander's consciousness winked out of existence, enjoying the blood warmth of the blade as it took his life force, his, es- his essence, and absorbed it. Not becoming stronger, the blade was powerful enough, but instead feeding on his life for the sheer lustful enjoyment of it. Ochi liked how this felt. As he swung off the ramp and into the ship proper, he felt lightheaded. Not drunk exactly, but buzzing, carefree, and alert. Everything around him in pin-sharp focus. And then finally, page 436, the last thing he ever heard was Ochi screaming as he stabbed the blade over and over again, and the scream of Serensko as the two brothers died together, their blood splattering against the front viewports as Ochi surrendered himself to the primal need of the Sith blade one more time. So, my last questions for you all for this evening. God. <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah. 
Happy Will you Monday! Sleep well? Yeah! <laughs> My last questions for this evening is actually not how impressed are you that I said Anaximander's consciousness without tripping up, but... I'm, it's, I'm proud, frankly. It's one, how much do you blame the Sith Dagger for Ochi's behavior, okay, right? If you question. had to throw a percentage on there or something, I don't know. And, and two, did learning more about this dagger help you reconcile its existence in The Rise of Skywalker, or did it just make it feel more confusing? Mm. Well, Charles, let's be clear. Anaximander absolutely sounds like a prescription you would like say to a patient. Like, I'm going to prescribe you Anaximander. Um, it's an erectile dysfunction drug. Also, oh, my word. Absolutely. It just makes things just a bit harder. Uh, so what I would say is Wait that – uh, Thank you. Um, I – I would blame the Sith Dagger for OG's behavior a bit more if we saw a little more seated in throughout. I think at the end, I was I was taken a little bit aback by him just randomly stabbing people. And that nuts. is... Yeah, yeah. To, to the point of what Corey said earlier, that's one of the only moments where I actually felt like the story beats of Rise of Skywalker kind of in, intrude on the narrative. Yeah, exactly. Where it's like, well, he, ha- well, he has to kill Ray's parents because we saw it mm. in the film. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, so that seemed to come a little bit out of nowhere. And I think, like, we can – oh, it was, the dagger was, was forcing him to do it. And I, and I think that in order to make a good story, you can't, lie, you can't lean too much on a dagger that makes someone go insane and act irrationally because then you can't track them as, as a narrative device. So it doesn't make sense. So I think Adam Christopher chose the better story, which was Ochi doing certain things and not necessarily being insane. But then at a certain point, he had to become insane. In order to make that story beat happen. So that didn't quite work for yeah. me. That being said, I do think that this made the dagger in the movie make way more sense. Like, again, like Corey said earlier, I really do now understand it as a device. I do understand it. Because when, once you bring Sith magic and, like, the Force yeah. and, and sorcery and things. Yeah, thank you. Yes, exactly. The arcane. Then it makes sense. Why does it fit the Death Star perfectly? Because it's arcane. Because it's magic. It's magic. Like, it's that's, Sith magic. That's, like you, you don't have to explain yes. it anything other than that, right? Like why yes. can why can Yoda lift rocks? Shut up. It's magic. All right. We don't need midichlorians. You know what I mean? Like we don't have to explain it. So, like, yes. I, I think uh, I think if there was if there's any one single plot point that this book resolves for me, it's the dagger. Honestly, yes. like yeah. like yeah, like I really do think it is. Like uh, because. The dagger is so weirdly powerful, this entire book, and just keeps doing crazier stuff with the drinking of the blood, and it feels hot. Drinking the blood. Lando talking about how, like, like he's like, oh, no, the blade it isn't. It's not that it's sharp. It's hot. He can feel it. It's going to take his head yes. off. Like, that, like, the way he was describing feeling it, like, and you get that, you know, third-person perspective there. Like, it's like, I love the dagger. I thought it was really, really well done, and, and like, it, it works now because it's magic and that's that's why and uh i can buy that that's a viable yes, plot point for 100%. me now N- now i can get behind the whole death star thing like 100 yes. <clears throat> percent. yep yeah I, I think it's a great it's a great piece for og because every time that he uses it he feels that he gets closer and closer to get back <clears throat> to exegol yeah right so every time he he uses that dagger he can feel like the anger with it, and he's like, "Man, I am so close. Mm-hmm. I am so mm-hmm. close to getting what I want." And each time he uses it, he gets a little more yeah. insane. Uh-huh. Yeah, which is which is a good writing part. I like is, that. I yeah. appreciated Ooh. that part of the writing. Ooh, Stephanie in the chat, a sentient dagger trying to draw <clears throat> its future empress to its master. And I think, nice. like, I like the, the dagger is more like the One Ring in that way. I think the like 
Basically, mm. this book allows the dagger to have an, a, a presence and a sentience. A sentience, And yeah. I think that, that makes it really interesting. <clears throat> but again, I, I, I do wish it had a little more, like, desire to make Ochi do weird things. And, like, if Ochi had a moment of, like, yeah. why did I kill him? <clears throat> did I want to do that? Where he has moments of confusion? Yeah. Maybe it would have been yeah. good, but also that would have been more Ochi chapters, and we and we hate this guy. So, like, maybe we don't want yeah. to. <laughs> I, I will say, uh, I will say the the dagger lore was very tight, uh, closely tied to all the crystal lore that was all throughout this book. Yes! We haven't brought that up yet. Um, and Crystals, uh, baby. I, we're always, man. I, I don't know when they're going to stop using Kyra crystals as a plot device because it has Never. been used over don't and over <laughs> and over again. Now at this point, I mean, good lord, how many things can freaking crystals do? They can destroy planets. They can yep. burn people's eyes out. Yep. They can be bled and turn red. They can absolutely. Be in, Dude with dark side energy, they can guide the freaking wayfinder and like guide you through yep. hyperspace. Apparently, yeah. like what yep. the hell? Like crystals can literally do everything now. It's insane. Uh, like, outside of the force, like, not the crystals are probably <laughs> the next powerful thing. Yeah, seriously. Force, yes. Number two, the crystal. I dig it. Yeah, I, I, I kind of dig it. Like it, it's uh, the kyber crystals have been a very interesting way to bring the force to a like a physical thing in, that's in the yes. real world. Like and I, yeah. I like that. I think it's cool. Um, and I like that the the that this was all very tied in together with the with the 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 blade and the the big giant crystal I guess that's on Exegol that is probably in a comic book that I don't know anything about like yeah that sort of <laughs> stuff right like I'm I'm totally behind that and I'm sort of realizing now that we're sort of wrapping up here at the end of this part one of the roundtable I'm realizing that like honestly I wonder if this would have worked a little better as a trilogy interesting interesting. Yeah, a because this book, maybe a trilogy. Because this how do we book, not? How do we? Oh, I guess never mind. This book. How do we not know it's a trilogy? It's like, well, you know, kind of into where it ended. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Because this book really had enormous shoes to fill, and I think that is the yeah. if there's yes. any if there's any drawback that I would say that this book has is that the shoes were like too realistically big for any one story to fill, and there were just so many plot points that need to be explained. I wonder if it would have done. A little better as a trilogy where we really got to dive more into the whole acolyte arc a little bit into the whole this is the sith master thing and the mask and all that was amazing I and mean, please give yes. adam christopher like an like a old republic sith yeah let adam oh, christopher yeah. bring darth bane into canon that would mm. be fun uh, like that yes because <clears throat> you, you feel like there there is that weird thing of like you, you see it's kind of like watching a racehorse on a treadmill it's like you're doing the thing, yeah. But uh-huh. like, I see if you it's were just given, though. if you could just run, yeah, that would be such yeah. The, the creativity stuff. is really, really there. I, I would be really curious, like what the what the draft actually looked like. If it was way longer than this, and they did cut it back a ton, it's still this long. Like, I really do think this yeah. meta worked a little better as if a this trilogy, is the just short because. Version of this. Yeah, right. Because there's just so many stories that need to be told. We need to tell Lando's daughter's story. We need to tell Ray's parents' story. We need to tell Luke's like learning about Sith lore and the learning about Wayfinders. There was so much stuff in this book, guys. Like it just covers so many things. Like it's 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 just dense. There's so much stuff to it. So you know. Well, I like that that you bring up how much we still have to cover because we still have part two of a roundtable. And if y'all thought these were overarching questions, just wait till next week. Not to mention all the Easter eggs and everything that we're going to get. And there were some very deep polls. We were discussing them before the show. So make sure if you enjoyed this episode, if you enjoyed this book, you make it back next Monday night. And we're going to break things down for you again. But until then, Eric, take us home, my friend. 
You got it. Like Charles said, next week is Shadow Sith Part 2. Week after that, we will be revisiting the film The Rise of Skywalker. Will talking about this book for two weeks completely change how we feel about the film? Who knows, but we're excited to see you every Monday, or we're excited to be in your feeds every single week. And thank you all for listening, because my friends, that will do it for this week's episode of The Living Force. If you support us on Patreon, thank you so much for everything you do to help support our entire community. If not, head over to utini.com slash Patreon to join the family. A special thank you to Brian Dooley, Patrick Ortiz, Earl Q, Robert Thomas, and Carl Sander on our Jedi High Council, and Elizabeth Cloutier and Sally and Chris Eilerson on our Alliance High Command. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at Eric Eilerson. Corey is at Corey M. Helton. Charles is at C. Hankel. Wes is at Boss West. The show is at Living Force Pod. And we are at Utini underscore US on Twitter and at Utini on TikTok and Instagram. A special thank you to Matt Davenport, our amazing editor. Ryan, our graphic designer extraordinaire. And Wes, our producer and community manager. Thank you to Corey, Charles, and Wes for potting with me tonight. Thanks to all of you for hanging out. And as always, may the force be with you. There is no hatred. There is joy. There is no division. There is union. There is no apathy. There is passion. There is no gatekeeping. There is community. This is the Utini Star Wars Fan Code. Embrace it, live by it, and above all, trust in the living force. Join the Utini community and surround yourself with like-minded fans at utini.com. And remember, the force will be with you. Always.